Uh, we continue in, in the book of Ezra. We're going to look at Ezra chapter 7 and 8 today. Um, and uh, I'm going to read a large portion of it. Sometimes I think I'm guilty in particular of, of reading just a little portion and then getting to what I want to say. But um, let's, um, let's see what scripture says here. And as I'm reading, if you want to kind of hold something in your minds, um, just think about um, the activities of men and the activities of God uh, as we see it in this passage. Now, after this, and the after this is um, probably 60 years or more from the end of chapter 6 to the beginning of chapter 7. So there's a big after this. There's a big gap of time here. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sarai, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishu, son of Phinehas, son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So we're looking at a five-month journey. Uh, for the good hand of God was on him. For Ezra had directed his heart to study the law of God and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. With all the silver and gold that you find in the whole province of Babylonia and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. 
whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls um, to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes, the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. We're looking at a lot of generosity here on behalf of the king. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God, and those who do not know them, you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. And now Ezra breaks out and prays here, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing in as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the mighty officers. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. These are the heads of their father's houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush. Of the sons of Sekaniah, who was of the sons of Parash, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pahath, Moab. Elihonai, the son of Zechariah, and with to him 200 men, of the sons of Zetu, Shechaniah, the son of Jaziel, with him 300 men, of the sons of Adam, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men, of the sons of Elam, Josiah, the son of Athaliah, with him 70 men, of the sons of Shephahathah, Zabathiah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men, of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men, of the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josephath, with him 60 men, of the sons of Babai, Zechariah, the son of Babai, with him 28 men, of the sons of Zagad, Jananan, the son of 
Hakatan, with him 110 men of the sons of Adonai Kim, who, those who came later with their names being Elphalet, Jelo, Shemaniah, and with them 60 men of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, Zakur, and with them 70 men. As I gathered them up to the river that runs to Ahava, we were camped three days. As we reviewed the people and the priests and found there were none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaniah, Elnathan, Jerob, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshalam, leading men, and for Jorob, Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Edo, the leading man in the place of Casaphia, telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at that place, Casaphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our and by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, the sons of Mariah, with his kinsmen, and their sons twenty, besides two hundred and twenty of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. And I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek him a safe journey, seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is good for all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and employed our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. And just down to verse 31. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the 12th day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem and remained, and there we remained for three days. Actually, in thinking about this passage, um, we're, we're introduced to the man Ezra. And um, as I was considering it, at first I thought, we're introduced to the remarkable man Ezra. We're introduced to the extraordinary man Ezra. But the reality is that I think that Ezra was probably an ordinary man, just like we our ordinary men and women here. He suffered discouragement. Um, he was a priest, as we read, but there was no temple for him to exercise his priestly duties in. Um, he, I'd like to think, was working in the background for the long haul here, um, that 
As we saw, he went before the king Artaxerxes and that the king granted him everything he asked for. He didn't just blunder into the king's presence, having not established himself as someone uh, that was worthy to be listened to. I believe that he probably had an established a relationship in that sphere of influence over that 60-year period of time or whatever it might have been, that the, that the king already, as we can see in the passage, knew the God of Israel, knew, um, knew somewhat of, of the, the worship of this God of Israel. As we see, um, the king said uh, to Ezra, uh, you're a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And so Ezra, just like us, was probably, or we could consider him an ordinary man that did remarkable things. He had built a relationship with a king. And we're introduced to this man. um, And we just, we see that he was a priest, but guess what? We also are priests. Um, in First Peter chapter two, verses five and nine, we're called a holy priesthood, and we're called a royal priesthood. We're a holy priesthood because, first and foremost, we offer praise to the God of the universe, which we just did, um, and we give Him honor and glory. And then we're a royal priesthood because after we've worshiped him, we represent him to the world around us. Isn't that what Ezra did? I'm sure he worshiped, but he was representing the God that he worshiped to the world around him, to his sphere of influence. And so I would challenge us to keep in our minds that whereas Ezra was a priest, we're also priests to a holy and righteous God, that we're um, holy priests and we're royal priests, that we have the, the privilege to worship him and the privilege to represent him in the world around us. We see that Ezra was quick in the law. He was, it says he was quick. He was ready. He was ready to hear it. He was ready to apply it to his own life, and he was ready to teach it. In Psalm 45 and verse 1, the psalmist says, My heart overflows with a pleasant theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. And we should be waiting ourselves and be ready to, re- to proclaim God's word in the world. As I've already said in verses um, 11 through 15, in this letter that Artaxerxes sent, we see that Ezra had a real witness to the king and to his counselors. They made an offering, and it says they made it willingly to the God of Israel. It reveals a tremendous reverence, I think, that they had for the God of Israel And they had that reverence because of Ezra's work in representing his God 
to these Gentiles, to this foreign people? How do we live our lives day to day? What's our sphere of influence? And are we showing those that we come in contact with and teaching them a reverence for the God of the universe? We look at how Artaxerxes mentions God, where he says, the God of heaven, peace. And throughout this portion, we see that he constantly says, these offerings are given willingly. If people go with you willingly, um, there, there's just an expression of the willing heart for, for men and women to be part of the worship of this God of heaven, not under any kind of uh, force, but, but going willingly and to say peace. We see in the New Testament, in Romans, in the benediction in um, chapter 15, that God is called the God of peace. In the, in the world that we live in, as we've prayed for Ukraine, we see so much turmoil and to have the comfort to be able to acknowledge God as the God of peace. It's a beautiful view of God. It's balanced with, because he also said, the king that is, uh, says that we also want to do these things that the wrath of God not fall upon us. I think there's an acknowledgement both that there is a God of peace here, but there's also a God who's powerful and a God who has um, who's righteous and holy and an expectation that we would live righteous and holy lives before him. As I had said, to try to hold in your minds um, while I was reading, to consider the works of God and the works of man in this passage. There was one phrase that came up over and over and over again. It was in verse seven, verse nine, for the good hand of God was on him. Verse 28, for the hand of God was on me. In chapter 8 and verse 18, the good hand of God was on us. And in verse 22, the hand of God is for good on all who seek him. And in verse 31, the hand of our God was on us. The hand of God was on a man. He was on Ezra. It was personal. The hand of God was on a people. It was national. The hand of God is good for those who seek him. And the hand of God is on us. It's beautiful to consider that. Um, And I think we don't always live in the reality of that. Um, there's been a couple of instances when our family was on vacation at the beach. Um, and I just share this, uh, by way of trying to, to illustrate this thought of an awareness of God in our lives. Uh, there was one time on vacation that there was a whale just offshore. It was so cool. And then we've been at the beach where there was whole pods of dolphins coming and and jumping and flipping out of the water. 
you could view that a couple of ways. You could view that as the beauty of, of creation. You could view it as just an occurrence in nature that they were out there and we happen to be there and we happen to see them. Or I would, when my mind is in the right place, would like to think that my heavenly father loves me and he loves my family and he provided the whale for my enjoyment. He provided the dolphins for our enjoyment. Isn't that a great worldview? Isn't that a great way to, to live our lives, to, to wonder at creation and something that you could say just occurred that day or to view it as a gift from your heavenly father who loves you? Um, there's an old writing. It's um, the practice of the presence of God um, by Brother Lawrence. And I think, that, um, I think that he captured this, this view as well. Um, he, was, uh, he was a monk. Um, he'd been a soldier. He'd been wounded. He wasn't able to, to do that much physically anymore. Um, but as, as he lived out his, his day-to-day, this was his attitude. Uh, and he was in the kitchen at this time. When he had prayerfully filled his mind with an attitude of great devotion of that infinite being, he went to his work in the monastery kitchen as a cook. He considered what the job required and when and how each thing was to be done. Then he spent all his time at work as well before and after his work in prayer. When he started his work, he said to God with a complete trust in him, Oh my God, you are with me. And I must now in obedience to your commands, apply my mind to these outward things. I beseech you to grant me the grace to continue in your presence. To this end, I ask that you grant me your assistance, receive all my works, and possess all my emotions. As he proceeded in his work, he continued in intimate conversation with his maker, imploring his grace and offering to him all his actions. When he had finished, he examined himself to determine how he had discharged his duty. If he had done well, he gave thanks to God. If not, he asked for forgiveness. Then, without being discouraged, he set his mind right again and continued his practice of the presence of God as if he had never deviated from it. He said, by getting up after every fall and by frequently renewing my faith and love, I have arrived at a state of mind where it is more difficult for me not to think of God as it was at the beginning to think of him. And I'd asked myself in, in this passage from Ezra, with this constant, um, the hand of God was on him. The good hand of God was on us. Um, the hand of God is for good on all who seek him and so on. Do I 
do I see the hand of God in things? And as I told the story of the beach, and as we look at this, this meditation from, from Brother Lawrence, I think that it's training our minds to be aware of God working in our lives. And then we see the good hand of God on us and we recognize his working. Um, it, it says that in uh, verse 10 of chapter 7 that Ezra directed or set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. In uh, Psalm 27 and verse 8, it reads, uh, you have said, this is the psalmist saying to God, you have said, seek my face. And my heart said, your face, Lord, will I seek. And so there... There's that, that necessary attitude in our hearts where I said that Ezra was an ordinary man. He was an ordinary man that directed or set his heart to love God, to study his word, to study his law. His heart cried like the psalmist did, your face, Lord, will I seek. Um, Throughout this, these two chapters, I think we can also rejoice in, in seeing that sacred mystery of the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Because we see men acting and we see God acting together. And, and they're both happening concurrently. Um, and they both need to happen together. The reason why I read that painful list of names in chapter eight with all of these people that were part of the group that was traveling with Ezra up to Jerusalem was to show the importance that um, everyone matters. Everyone matters. We all matter. It all matters what we do. It all matters that we are seeking to give God glory and honor with our lives together. And, and so there's no hard name or small name that shouldn't be mentioned. It, it even says in the passage that these were all mentioned by name. We have the beautiful hope uh, of knowing that our names are written in the book of life. Um, but beyond that, Our lives matter here on earth. What we do for him, everyone matters. I'd like to touch on one one side theme before we conclude here. And that is that um, in chapter 8, when they fasted, Ezra says, I was ashamed to ask the king, for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So in faith, um, Ezra didn't ask the king for soldiers. And we see that um, that was honored 
and that they were they had a safe journey they were delivered from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way in the book of nehemiah which we're going to get to so a little plug on nehemiah um nehemiah took a band of soldiers with him after praying and so my point here is that both both men sought the lord and one of them sought the Lord and rejected the idea of taking soldiers with him because he was trusting God for the journey. And the other one sought the Lord, and I believe saw the soldiers as part of God's provision and took the soldiers with him in faith as part of the journey. There's times where there's not dogma in scripture or doctrine for the exact way that we're supposed to walk before him. And so we shouldn't judge others who have earnestly prayed and sought the Lord and then maybe gone in a different direction than we might have earnestly prayed and sought the Lord. Both were right here. Both moved forward in faith. And they weren't in any contradiction or in any way living in a way that would dishonor the Lord. Um, so it's just an encouragement that sometimes uh, we should offer more grace to each other um, when, when we believe that the other person has, has sought the Lord and then um, maybe moved in a slightly different way than, than we would. So we all matter. We all matter. That's the takeaway. We should live our lives as directing our hearts to seek God's face. We should be in it for the long haul. We can take lessons from Ezra for how he lived his life. We should seek actively to see the good hand of God in our lives as we walk humbly before him. I just would like to close with a benediction from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought you again, I'm sorry. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.